We know who the good customer is. It's not the one that wants the discount one-time cleaning. It's the one who wants it you know, every month for the next six months. We started selling packages and giving them discounts if they, sold, if they bought packages, because that would mean that somebody who wanted one time would never buy it. And we could keep that bad customer out. And somebody who wanted a regular cleaning would happily buy it because they got a discount for pre-buying a couple cleanings together. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. Today, I'm thrilled to have our guest, Alex Levin, on the podcast. Alex joins us as founder and CEO at Regal. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I think we have some customers in common. So like together, we're doing great things for those customers. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think with that, that's a great tea for uh, you know, today's episode. Alex, will you know, get more into Regal uh, you know, as we get deeper uh, into the conversation. Yeah, but in short, Regal is you know, a, you know, a next generation, a, an AI-driven customer support platform that does all sorts of very interesting things with voice. I can start to represent what the platform and, and, and the business you know, does. We'll get into that. You know, but you know, in short, Regal deals day in, day out with bad customers. Yeah, that's a core part of any support function. Certainly, they deal with great customers as well. Yeah, but anyone who's worked in support, uh, ran support, ran a support function, uh, you know, it's always a question of you know, how do you deal with you know, folks who are unhappy either because you know, the business has wronged them or un- unhappy just because uh, yeah, their interests are not aligned you know, with what your product and what your service is offering. You know, and it's the reality of the world and the you know, reality of building any business is you know, understanding um, you know, really why your customer is upset. Today, we're actually going to talk about a topic that we've never talked about before, we've never even mentioned, and that's you know, the topic of bad customers. Uh, and I'm sure that you know, for anyone listening to the show today, you know, if you think back to you know, a strategy session you may have had you know, earlier this week or last week, you're probably focusing on good customers. You know, how do we acquire, acquire customers who will drive the right LTV? How do we acquire customers who will be interested in this new product lineup? You know, how do we acquire customers in advance of the holiday season so we can get that repeat purchase there? These are all conversations around good customers. You know, today we're we're not going to focus much on good customers. Uh, we're actually going to talk about bad customers. Um, you know, and, and with this, we're going to cover topics around how do you avoid bad customers? Uh, you know, how do you deal deal with bad customers? Uh, you know, once you know they're in the system and transacting, uh, and how should you think about them? You know, and you know, how, you know, how do they integrate? You know, and assimilate into your business across support, uh, and how should you think about it as well? Uh, you know, across your customer lifecycle, and you know, you know, tactically, you know, when you think about your customer engagement strategy, uh, sending them emails and uh, whatever else you you might be doing to engage your customers uh, on a daily basis. So, you know, with this, um, you know, Alex, you know, let's talk about your background. You know, where you were before Regal, and then you know, maybe you know, introduce Regal uh, with proper context out, outside of the mile, the five mile high you know, overview that I just gave. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, at a high level, I have been a marketer and product manager most of my life for you know consumer brands online, and you know for a long time, I think bought into the sort of common misconception that support was just a, co- a cost center and you should try to minimize your conversations with the customer as much as possible. I think a lot of that came out of my experience sort of in retail and in selling relatively commodity, cheap products online. What's happened today, of course, is that every customer who shops online expects to do everything online now. And so, you know, the customers demanding that healthcare is online, education is online, you know, their life insurance, their loan, all of it. And in these more complicated or, or more considered industries, you really can't treat customer service as a cost center. 
you have to actually look at it and say, well, historically, we've always needed to talk with our customer about these complicated topics. We still need to talk about our customer, we'll talk with our customer, even though it's online. So the fact that we've now digitized a lot of the onboarding experience and many of the things is great and allows uh, better distribution of the product, but you still have to find those moments where in healthcare, you're talking to somebody about their diabetes or in banking, you're talking about the new opportunity for a loan. Uh, you know, in education, you're talking about what classes they're talking, you know, they're going to do next. That's actually not best done in digital. And the reason we know that is when we look at these businesses, take, you know, opening a new bank account online, if they open it fully digitally, only 20% fund the account, they open it with somebody helping them 80% fund the account. So we actually can see tactically day to day that having a conversation with customers leads to better outcomes. So our specialty is in using uh, the real-time data that you know flows through systems like Simon Data or uh, other CDPs, or you know, is coming from other sort of sources to allow our customers to figure out which segments of customers to reach, how to personalize the outreach, how to have a conversation. So the main channels on our platform are you know conversational voice and conversational SMS. You know, as opposed to channels like email or marketing SMS, are all one way. Right, everything that we're driving to is actually having that conversation with the customer because we know that is driving higher customer LTV, um, higher customer lifetime value. Specifically, you know, I think, you know, I have this unique perspective because I was a marketer last at this company, Angie, in the home services space, the largest home services provider in the world. And now we sell to a lot of these marketing teams and revenue teams and get to see it from both sides. So, uh, you know, it's fun to sit on the other side of the fence sometimes. Yep, no, totally. And maybe you can talk more a bit, bit about you know, some of the, the bad customers you saw at Angie because it's a, you know, I think anyone who's you know called a plumber you know, knows that it can be a, a challenge. I think Angie had some unique, uh, you know, unique challenges and opportunities there. Yeah, I mean, start start very early. So I'll start with what I call the Y Combinator problem. And I apologize to anybody who's been through Y Combinator. It's a fantastic program. But what's the first thing every Y Combinator company does? Well, they go try to get customers among their the rest of their Y Combinator class maybe among their friends too. But if you're a new consumer business and you do that, nobody's going to tell you the truth, right? They're going to, oh yeah, your product's great. I'm going to use it. I'm going to do whatever. And so what classically happens in that situation is that uh, you start building the product for the wrong set of people who weren't really the ones who had the need. Um, you know, it was another YC company or friend that, you know, thought it was okay. Or it was a friend that thought it was okay. Much better actually from the very beginning is go one level removed. Like, not the people you directly know or part of your YC batch, but somewhere else. So you can actually get real feedback on if I put this value proposition up for you, let's say to buy a plumbing service, to your example, at this price, are you going to do it? And now I really know, do I actually have a thing that that person wants? And then as you're watching those customers, you know, you watch the traditional metrics, right? So how much are they using your product? How much are they spending with you over time? Are they coming back? And those are indications of stickiness. You know, it's going to be really hard to get those kind of metrics when it's your YC batchmate or, you know, your friend, because, you know, they're going to say, oh, I didn't have time today. And they're going to make an excuse. And you're going to feel like maybe you still have product market fit when you didn't. So very early on, it's about making sure you're picking real customers and not just the ones who say they'll help you. As you get further, I think I'll give you an example in the home service industry around cleaning. I think it became very clear to us that we could discount cleanings and get lots and lots of people to want to do cleaning, right? By lowering the price point far enough, people said they wanted cleaning. But what we found out is those are people who wanted one cleaning ever, right? Which is not really the customer you want. Classically, the reason why home cleaning is such a fantastic business 
is that there is a subset of customers in the United States, let's say, who want a regular cleaning once a week, once a month, and they don't want to do it themselves. They want a service to do it. But what we found is that actually by lowering the price and seemingly expanding the TAM, you actually were reaching a type of customer that behaved very differently and didn't allow you to do the normal things you needed to, like investing in, you know, making sure that you had the same people every time, investing in making sure that, you know, you had better pricing, uh, let's say, because you're going to do it regularly than only one time. So it actually, uh, for a long time, was a, a, a thorn in our side until we finally said, look, we know who the good customer is. It's not the one that wants the discount one-time cleaning. It's the one who wants it, you know, every month for the next six months. We started selling packages and giving them discounts if they if they bought packages because that would mean that somebody who wanted one time would never buy it and we could keep that bad customer out. And somebody who wanted a regular cleaning would happily buy it because they got a discount for pre-buying a couple cleanings together. So I think just a small example of, of sort of the right and wrong kind of LTV customer. And then to your point, once they become customers, you get all kinds of other signals. So if you're deciding who to do uh, marketing to very classically, people look at, you know, how much have they spent with me so far? One uh, set of metrics that people often forget is how much have they cost me, right? Uh, you know, did they come out, you were talking about support, have they reached out to support? Did they have a claim that we had to pay out? And, you know, those are important things to understand about that customer. They may have spent $10,000 with you, but if you paid out a $100,000 claim, you're net negative on that customer. So I think you as a marketer need to understand the true cost of serving each segment of customers. Too often what happens is people look at the support cost overall, and they don't actually break it down by segment. So they break down revenue by segment, but not cost. And what they, what they sort of fail to realize is, wow, actually there's this segment of customers that are paying us a lot, but it's costing us way more. And actually our margin is better on perhaps a customer who's paying us less. And so a lot of different ways to look at it. But to your point, I think it's a, a conversation that needs to be had. It's not just, hey, let's walk in, who's our great customer? Let's walk in and talk about who's the wrong customer and how do we use marketing, product, uh, segmentation as levers to make sure we're, we're you know, targeting the right folks. Yep. And I know one thing which is probably top of mind for a lot of you know folks in you know retail and e-commerce as we're starting to finalize and think through uh holiday strategies is you know is discounting strategies uh you know that you know come around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You know, a friend of mine you know works in private equity and you know you know makes a living out of assessing your viability and uh your upside for you know your scaled e-commerce businesses. And off the bat, you know, they don't even count customers that were acquired and made one purchase, you know, in the month of, of November and early December. Yeah, you know, they need to see that second purchase before they consider them to be a good customer. It's not that they're a bad customer, but you know, that you set of folks who yeah, make look, one I, one customer are bad until proven otherwise. Yeah, I'll give you like uh, one of my favorite acquisition strategies in home services. So there was a company in Russia that we sort of traded notes with in home services that realized that a lot of people wanted window cleaning. And they offered window cleaning basically as a loss leader. And they made no money on it. But they could send people out in 15 minutes, quickly clean the windows, charge $15 and move on. But it created this enormous list of customers that then they could market to, for to your point, uh, with a real thing they were trying to sell. And so they didn't really look at those window cleaning customers as a real customer. They looked at it as a way of acquiring homeowners in a cost neutral way that then might do another service later. So yeah, I think there are very sophisticated, very sophisticated ways of acquiring customers, as long as you're honest with yourself about what it is that you're doing. You know, Black Friday is particularly, I think, a challenge. Take, take the extreme. Pretend you're in the TV industry. 
So I'm going to get the exact number wrong, but I believe it's something like 60 or 70% of TVs each year for the major retailers are sold in that sort of one week period. So you have to move the inventory in that period. You have no choice but to move it. The whole cost structure of TVs is, is set up to work for Black Friday because they know it's a one-time purchase. And so I think, you know, uh, you know, in that case, like that's just how the business works. But to your point in, you know, if you're going to be in the home services industry, like we were, yeah, it makes no sense. If you offer somebody a great deal on that day and they never come back, there's no value to that. Uh, yeah, no, hundred percent. And yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. And at the end of the day, every aspect of your marketing strategy should be considering this. Yeah. You know, so like, what are your promotions? Like, what's your incentive structure? Uh, you, how are you thinking about framing your value proposition? You know, and these things are tricky because, you know, so often we look back on performance last month and we look at last quarter attribution uh, and we you know, look at a very, very small slice of the customer life cycle and we pat ourselves in the back and say, you know, I spent, you know, I spent a million bucks and I, you know, generated $5 million of revenue, but it's it's very removed from looking at the customer LTV and the cohorts and the segments within that, you know, you know, even reconsidering your segmentation strategy, if you're driving lookalikes, you know, into Meta or into Google or into anywhere else, you know, you may want to ask, can you exclude customers who, you know, inherently have high costs? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's look like, you know, it's not that, you know, Google's magic, but, you know, why would you include customers that are high LTV but high cost as well? You know, to your point. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah. You, know, you, you can't do just optimize on the edges. Yeah. You guys have been at the forefront of enabling sort of not obviously not just having data, having data is good, but doing things with that data. So, you know, suppression segments and sort of really figuring out like who are the right set of users to be sending to all these different sort of channels you're working with. So we're only, you know, Regal really focuses on that phone and SMS conversation, but, you know, you have to apply this to your point across all your channels. Yeah. And look, getting back to the e-commerce example, you know, if you, if you subscribe to the belief that a customer who bought on, you know, 60% off once on Cyber Monday is not, you know, a long-term customer, you know, then, you know, a big part of your retention strategy downstream should be thinking about, you know, specifically segmenting, you know, that cohort of customer, uh, and ask them like, you know, what can you do to engage them in the right way and to get them, you know, into into a productive customer journey with you? you know, but before we dive in too much into engagement retention, Alex, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, Regal's approach, uh, you know, to you know, to ban customers and costly customers, and uh, you know how you all think about this and how the product you know can help with the situation, but you know, also how it fits into this you know, conversation more broadly. Yeah. So. Uh... We work primarily in, like I said, phone and SMS. And uh, the the sort of thing to remember for marketers is, well, email marketing has progressed from sort of batch and send to, you know, event-based systems like Braze and Enroll and Customer.io that allow you to send exactly the right message at the right time. Phone and SMS is not. A lot of the big, you know, CX organizations were still using legacy contact center software like Nice, Genesis, Five9, even TalkDesk that were really set up for inbound, like I said, deflecting inbound. We're not set up for any of these new industries that have to have more conversations. And so the challenge for them is how do they do in conversational channels the same thing they do in marketing? Because in marketing, they're very sophisticated. They, they understand all this. They know how to segment. They know how to reach out to the right folks, be very smart. But they don't have the infrastructure in uh, conversational channels, and so they get stuck. So a lot of our uh, process with companies is to say, look, you guys know very well that you shouldn't be just calling everybody three times a day for three days, but you don't have the tooling to do it. So let's draw a sort of maturity curve and let's move along that curve over the next couple of years 
to improve the technology you have to be able to, in these uh, you know, phone and SMS channels, be able to do the same thing in conversations. So, you know, the, the things I'm going to say are not new to marketers, right? We're talking about how do you build unified customer profile, but that's very new to context. Center. We're talking about how do you actually have a journey builder where depending on what the customer does, the thing you're going to call, they're going to get the script, they're going to get the conversation, the objection handling, it's going to be different. Again, very common concept in email. That's very new in the channels that we're in. One very fascinating part of what we do that's not available in sort of one-way marketing is we have huge insight into the conversation. So every conversation is recorded and transcribed. Every SMS conversation is available. We automatically pull out things like, are you high intent? You know, what are you interested in? Have, has, has certain questions been answered or not? And that allows us to then add to the unified customer profile or even send it back to other systems, right? Through a CDP uh, so that downstream, we can be talking to that customer in the right way. So customers hate it when they get on the phone with the company trying to buy a car from and they tell somebody what I really want is an SUV and they go back to the customer site and guess what's showing a sedan. That's a terrible experience, right? So pulling out what's actually having the conversation, not just to do stuff in Regal, but to make sure the other uh, channels you're using to engage that customer and have that is quite powerful. So I'd say work, interesting combination of bringing performance marketing to this channel that didn't have it before and taking advantage of the things that are novel in this channel, allowing the other channels to have access to it. And what's what's your advice for, for listeners who maybe own traditional CRM channels, you know, and they say, Hey, you know, I have a price point where this makes sense. And I think, you know, you know, I want to be proactive in, in outreach in, um, in, in, in phone and, and, and sort of other non-traditional channels where we most, mostly been reactive. Uh, you know, how do you properly think about that from a, um, an organization perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, five years ago, if you had told me that phone sales was a big channel for B2C, you know, consumer brands, I would have told you you're crazy. You know, it wasn't until I actually dug into it and started to understand that I, I saw how powerful it was. So first mistake everybody makes is they go, oh, well, if it's human conversations, it must be really expensive. I'm going to stick to digital marketing because that's cheap. <laughs> you know, the incremental cost of acquiring the next person on Google is getting more and more expensive. Right. And the marginal cost of your last person is much more than your average. So for a company that has an average, you know, CAC of $100, their marginal CAC on Google might be three, four, five hundred dollars. So actually much more expensive than they think. On the other side, actually having a conversation with somebody, let's say it's about five dollars of labor per conversation. But if you can convert somebody once every 10 conversations, your cost per conversion for that incremental user rate is only 50 bucks. So now you're going, wait a second, <laughs> it sounded like it was expensive because it was human, but it's actually a much more cost-efficient channel than these others. The, so that's that sort of uh, concept one that people have to grasp. The second big one is there's a real uh, operational challenge to running human teams that are concierge, retention, cross-sell, upsell, sales, admissions. It, that is real, right? If I go on Google and I click a button, and I can spend a million dollars and I don't have to have anybody else on the team. I can just go and do it. To have the same level of impact, you might need, you know, 20 managers hiring a team of 400 to do a thing. So there's real operational complexity with this. And I think it's what keeps a lot of organizations away. And then the last one is just, there's a misunderstanding. I think people sort of have believed for a long time that the way you do retail or online marketing is with digital channels. 
Well, why does that have to be true? That's not really what happens. That's just a proxy. What's really true is we look at the CACTEL TV. We look at what is the cost to acquire a customer versus the lifetime value. And so as a marketer, I think people have a responsibility to constantly be testing new channels. And what we see is in industries that have, let's say, at least $100 LTV, forget industries below for a second, You know, when they go and try actually talking with their customers, they see much higher LTV. And also they have a new trick in their bag. And that's you know what great marketers do, right? Is they open a new channel before everybody else in their market. So when, when we were back at you know Angie, we were first in Subway in New York. We were first doing daily deals. We were first doing direct mail that was shared. And that gave us a huge advantage because other people weren't yet doing it. So, you know, I'd say my message to, to marketers today is, you know, don't be closed-minded. You know, you, your job is to look at Cactel TV and to be in those newest channels before anybody else. So if you're not yet engaging customers, you know, with uh, calls and texts, you should probably start looking at it and looking exactly at uh, what your marginal cost would be for that channel. And, you know, we have a lot of examples in common. So Farmer's Dog is a company in common, I think, where, you know, they don't sell that expensive a thing, but see enormous value in higher conversion of new customers, better you know, retention of month one customers, and overall higher LTV of customers when they call people when the first package is delivered. So package is delivered, they call them based off of the fact that the package is delivered and say, hey, let's unbox this together and talk about how you're going to change your habits from the old food you're using to the new. And I think that's a fantastic customer experience where the ROI is really wonderful. And so you're doing both. You're giving customers unique experience and you're improving revenue for the business. Yeah, no, and thank you for for going through that. And you know, the farmers dog team is you know particularly savvy, and they do some you know pretty pretty novel things across the board. So it's uh, you know, great to hear that example. Yeah, you know, Alex, we're sort of you're nearing the uh, the bottom of the show here. Bonus question: If you were to have this conversation again with anyone in the world around you know identification of of bad or you know ineffective or non revenue generation generating or non profitable customers, really, you know, who would you have that conversation with, and why? Oh, my co-founder. I mean, so, you know, I, I couldn't do what I do without my co-founder. Uh, I don't know how people do it without a co-founder. And, you know, she and I have been through sort of, you know, a lot of this together. And I think, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's a particularly uh, compelling conversation because I mean, a lot of brands are not having it, right? A lot of brands are not yet thinking about who is a bad customer for me. That's great. And, um, you know, yeah, I've been working with my you know, co-founder and CTO for 20 years uh, I probably wouldn't talk to him about this. He's much more technical, but uh, you know, certainly relate to you know, that response. You know, really just summarizing you know, the conversation. You know, I know we headlined with you know, the notion of a bad customer, but it's much more nuanced than that. Uh, and especially in this day of age with uh, you know, where the macro is and the cost of capital and, you know, and strains uh, you know, around marketing budgets, uh, in particular around acquisition costs. Yeah, this really needs to be top top of mind. You know, and I think from a business context, a bad customer is is equivalently defined as one that's unprofitable. Um, you know, and a good customer is one that is profitable. Yeah, I think today we had a very rich conversation around thinking about actually both sides of the coin. Uh, and obviously, Regal brings a very novel you know approach to incremental channels. You know, and really thinking holistically around what you know can you know, drive profitability for the customer. But at the same time, it's it's critical to you know, realize where you are and where you need to be. Uh, and some of the challenges you inherit with your existing processes and you know your strategies that you know, are just attracting you know customers that you know aren't going to get you to where you need to be uh, in the coming years uh, and putting uh, a lens of you know putting on a hat that focuses on LTV over conversion rates or CAC 
you know, is you know a completely different perspective on solving this problem, but one that you know, requires you know, looking at your data, looking at your marketing strategies through a very different lens. Yeah. Um, we've talked about those topics in the past, um, you know, but you know, all too often it's very easy to get caught off, get caught up in quarterly budget cycles and completely miss the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, well said. Uh, yeah, thank you, Alex, uh, you know, for coming on the show uh, and sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, you know, for anyone who wants to learn more about Regal, you know, where can they go? Please go to regal.io or email me at hello at regal.io. And, you know, we'd love to chat with you, particularly, you know, if you already are doing some kind of outbound calling and that's already part of your process, we'd love to chat with you. And if you're not doing it yet, and you just want to learn about how brands are using it, you know, feel free to reach out as well. Great. Uh, and thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.